y'all. Pretend we're football for the next hour. I'm your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside by Johnny Bershear and Tim Preston, as always. You guys are listening to the Hornscast channel, and also you're listening to the Budos Band bringing us in, as always. So, shout out to those guys. Super chill music. Today, we're going to be going over two Texas signees coming in for the, what is it, 2022 class, Arterio Morris and Dylan Mitchell. Tell you what to, how to feel about this Texas class, how to feel about these two players in general, and what they're going to be bringing to Texas. Talk about Texas' first game of the year, Houston Baptist. Talk about what we saw in the game, uh, the offense, the defense, and then get into the Gonzaga game. Texas, number five, playing at number one, Gonzaga, at 9.30 at night, which is, I mean, okay, fine, it's a West Coast game and all, but jeez, jeez. Who is Gonzaga on the court? What do they do well? How can they be exploited? And how should you expect this game to go as a Longhorn fan? Y'all, since this is not really a recruiting podcast, we don't really get into basketball recruits, but this seems like a pretty good class. I think Arteria Morris is the number six guy on according to Rivals. That seems pretty good. And Dylan Mitchell, all I know about Dylan Mitchell is when I watched his highlights, one of the first ones is him missing a between-the-legs dunk, and they cut it right before he misses it, but you can still see it's not going to go in, and they left it in the highlights. So that's what I know about these guys. You probably know more than Johnny and I on these two guys. What did Texas just get? Good evening, good evening everybody, or good day, or good morning, or whenever you listen to this. Hope you're doing well, everybody. <clears throat> so we'll start with Arturo Morris. He is a former Memphis recruit. And he decommitted uh, during COVID. And he's probably, I guess if I could say why I'm most excited about him, he's kind of like a really athletic Jacobin Brown. Maybe not quite the, the shooter consistently that Jacobin had been occasionally, but, um, but a really, really, really good offensive player. Super athletic, super, super athletic, a, a huge competitor. Just a guy that that is is very skilled and um, yeah, I think we'll remind I think we'll remind a lot of Texas fans of a guy like boy um, I don't know I, yeah it's, uh, I'm not sure there's a like for like um, at Texas that we've had even with the good point cards that we've had but he's he's very good I, I think he's a little overrated to say that he would be top ten I think he'd probably be in my opinion would be kind of more like a mid to late teens or early 20s kind of recruit nationally but he's super super good um good with ball in his hands very physical super quick um explosive in the lane uh long arms pretty good decision maker fine passer although he um most of the times that i've seen him play he hasn't been crazy um like passing people open or whatever he just makes smart passes but um can be a streaky outside shooter, but again, just, just a tremendous athlete and someone I think should be an impact player right away for a team like this one. Um, you know, particularly when we see some of the stuff with uh, with Carr and Ramey and Jones, with maybe some of the lack of athleticism a little bit. It's felt like the last couple uh, times that we've watched them play, that will not be the case for Morris. He's just a he's a very dynamic athlete and very skilled. So um, certainly someone that I think will will I mean, maybe I maybe you could say like a like a cross between TJ and Jacobin, but like not like the best of them both, 
but kind of that style, like, like definitely plays a Chakovin style of basketball, just very brash and super, super confident, but has some of that um, TJ Ford athleticism. Um, again, not that level, but but um, the best point guard athlete we've probably had since TJ, because um, he's just a, he's a really, really good athlete. You're laughing at me, Johnny. You feel like I... I no, no, sir. Not laughing. Not laughing at all okay. at the fact that you just said a guy who might not be the top 20 uh, recruit is a combination of TJ Ford and Jacobin Brown. Didn't laugh at that at all. That's, that's perfectly defensible. Please continue. <laughs> Will do. Uh, as far as uh, Mitchell, he is... He's cross like, between uh, Tristan Thompson and Kevin Durant, or... <laughs> Uh, no, no, that's a silly comparison. That's no, that's not, the, that's not close at all. Uh, Mitchell is, is more of a, he's a, he's a very athletic wing. He's got great length. Um, he's super explosive, explosive as, as Will was talking about in some of those highlights. He is, I don't know that I would classify him as super raw, but he, what he does well, he does really well. What he does not as well um, namely like shooting and being a very, um, super skillful guy with the ball in his hands. Um, he'll have to work on that. Now, uh, his body and explosiveness would suggest that he's a guy that could probably be a first round draft pick after a couple of years because of, again, just what he's going to bring to the table athletically. But, um, I wouldn't be surprised if you think about a guy like Timmy Allen and how Timmy plays that Dylan would probably play a pretty similar role um he's taller dylan is taller than timmy allen um and and more athletic for sure but comparably to timmy not not a super polished offensive player as far as a shooter um especially from the perimeter so but again like you know a guy that a guy like dylan gives college coaches particularly a coach like beard a lot of opportunities to to play around with some defenses because he can guard multiple spots he's great in the open floor he's someone that you could probably uh, pretty easily as a small ball four if you needed to, and um, but can also be quick enough and fast enough to to play as a true wing. So some of those pieces are going to be interesting to see. But um, yeah, um, I, I, Morris is Morris is kind of the uh, the gem of the class. It would be pretty surprising if he's not gone after one year. So a lot of people that I've spoken to about about him just sort of expecting like like he would Morris would have options uh pretty easily to do either like the G League or overtime elite so he's that level player like he's someone that that a lot of those pro aspirations and pro well you're the scouts and stuff like that are trying to get to go pro and not play at Texas so I don't want to undersell how good Morris is but um, is this the first time Texas has had one of these one and done guys as a guard um, well, the last time would have been uh, Corey Joseph was a one and done, and then Avery Bradley the year before him. Um, I guess I, I I personally think that Arterio is is a little bit he's different than them both for sure. I mean, Corey was just both Corey and Avery were just really really solid, good shooters, tremendous athletes. Um, I would say that. Arturi is more, a little bit more of a frenetic athlete than them, but probably at a similar level of athleticism. Maybe not quite as explosive as as Avery, because Avery was just kind of silly, um, and not the defender that Avery was. But but you know, but better and kind of like or similar like similar level uh, as far as being like, like an elite talent, but at a very different type of game. 
you know, because again, when you watch Corey Joseph compared to a guy like Jacobin, like Corey was just obviously like going to make the right pass, going to be a terrific shooter, really, really good defender, wasn't going to wow you in almost any way. Arterio wants to make kind of those wow plays, but he combines that with with just really superstar athleticism. So, so what you're saying is Chris Beard can't recruit shooters. Reading between those lines, you love to see it. I, I'm, I'm actually. If you'd asked me five months ago, well, that's not true. Not five months ago. If you'd asked me 15 months ago about Morris, uh, I'd have been like, oh, I'm pretty excited about him. Uh, he took a pretty big jump over the last year or so. Um, in my estimation, and the more I watched him, and particularly the more I've seen the teams that he has been in charge of, playing other really good teams from around um, from around the country, like he kind of carries his teams to some really big wins against some awesome, <laughs> like you know, like basketball powerhouses, um, which is is you know, uh, that's that's not that's not nothing. So yeah, so I'm looking at past rankings here. Avery Bradley's the third highest rated player Texas has ever had. In terms of guards, then it's Corey Joseph, then it's Mike Cabongo, it's Daniel Gibson, and then Arterio Morris. And then right after Arterio Morris, in terms of overall, Arterio Morris is the 16th highest rated recruit Texas has ever brought in in basketball. Dylan Mitchell is the 17th. And then it's Andrew Jones and Will Baker. I guess we've seen, and then Jalen Tyson right after that, actually, funny, funnily enough. So kind of those four right there. Uh, those five actually we've we're going to be able to see kind of are all in the same range if he's a daniel gibson type player in his first year then hell yeah sign me up well he won't i mean yes so i mean that that level of recruit but just just so we're clear and i'm not not trying to to throw water on you will but for people who are listening like it's just morris is kind of a one of a one of one as far as like what we've seen at texas just because he's you know, we haven't really seen someone that plays with the kind of, well, I guess that's not true. So I, I think when we saw Mike Cabongo come in, I think a lot of people thought that Cabongo was going to be that kind of like ultra fast, ultra quick, gets in the lane whenever he wants to, turns the corner all the time. And then that never materialized. Um, I guess and I thought it would materialize and it didn't. <laughs> so take take my word about Morris with, you know, whatever grain of salt you'd like to. But I, I do think Morris is much more likely to be that guy. Because uh, he's just he's just really an alpha and and certainly plays like I've said a bunch of times already he just he plays with a with with really great energy and a, and a huge motor at at that athleticism. So show me a top fifty player who's not an alpha. But uh, let's go Will, ahead and Will get Baker? into what Will we Baker? Oh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Anyways, let's get. <laughs> not that I've been proven wrong immediately. Let's get into the Houston Baptist game here. And I want to start off the Houston Baptist game with the crowd that was at the Frank Irwin Center. I walked into the Frank Irwin Center not expecting to be able to not find a seat. It was, that was an interesting moment as a Texas fan, Texas basketball fan was walking in and it being a pretty full house or at least you can't find like two three seats next to each other it was always like spaced by one because even in a non-covid year he really wants to sit next to a stranger it was probably also the fact that they had the girls game before that and chris beard's first game as a longhorn coach like probably all of that combined uh on top of the heavy advertising towards students but i was still impressed with how many people came out to watch 
the Houston Baptist game. I don't think that that's going to be sustainable throughout the rest of the season, but it was a nice surprise. Yeah, unless they start doing $10 GA tickets the entire se- entire non-conference season, it's probably not sustainable. But it was a good crowd. Uh, it was definitely more people than I expected to see, for sure. Uh, watching on, on my TV in my basement, I was surprised at, at how loud it sounded. So particularly given the circumstances of the game and the opponent, um, you know, but one of the things that, you know, going to games at Iowa State when I was in high school, when I did in high school, other places that I've been, like University of Minnesota, the game I went to at Michigan State, like I've I've seen those crowds get that crazy no matter who they're playing. And like that's, that's really like, you know, whether or not that's possible at Texas, I suppose we'll see, but that's certainly the idea is like, hey, no matter who you play, this is exciting, you root for the team and and, and they feel like that they have that connection that they that they really care. Just it, it did anecdotally feel like uh, noticeably loud on, on, on good moments for Texas. So especially, you know, it, it's easy to be loud when you're shooting 66 percent from the from the floor. Like there was a lot of good things to to be excited about and some kind of fun threes and stuff like that. But but it, I was I, I thought it was cool. There's a couple a couple sort of contributing factors that I, I I don't have an answer to, but I am curious about. One is uh, probably the elephant in the room. Like, what if the football team was seven and two right now? How interested would these people be? And two, the fact that Beard keeps letting students onto the court at the end of the game. How many people like show up? Like, hey, we get to go hang out in the court, get a photo with Beard, kind of thing. Like. I mean, it's a it's a smart marketing thing to do, right? I, I just wonder if that like how many of the uh, how many people sort of ended up there because of one or one or two of those reasons. Hell, I mean, I'm super cool with him taking advantage of the Texas football team being down. Like, you know, I'd rather them not be down, but hell, if he's not taking advantage of that, then that's a misstep by him yeah it's it's perfect it makes perfect sense i just kind of wonder which of which uh, how much that played into things you know because houston baptist is awful yes yes if he lets the students onto the court every single time that's an awesome move too like that's just cool and it's it's nice to see some of that innovation or them being innovative and like responsive to to young people as far as like what they think would be really cool, especially as we go into what should be a pretty awesome environment next year. So if we can keep some of that energy and that excitement as they move into the movies, Moody Center, that's yeah, that's another reason to feel pretty positive about it. Yeah, I was thinking about the time, like the exact time that Chris Beard came into this program, and it almost couldn't be better. Now, obviously, it's taking advantage of that momentum he has where the football team is down, you know, basically people are searching for a reason to be happy about Texas sports and you're moving into a new stadium. So you have the first year as the goodbye to the Frank Irwin center, the hello, you know, the, the, the welcome wagon tour, the whole like honeymoon phase. The second year is, Everybody's excited about the new stadium, and hopefully you did well with the first year, given the team that you put together. It's almost lining up perfectly for Chris Beard. It's now a matter of execution for Chris Beard. Yeah, the last six years have been a, a lesson in a dude who has, his timing has been immaculate at like three different stops at this point. Compared to Shaka Smart, whose timing was the worst 
at all times. Like that dude was just. I mean, he left at the perfect time. Yeah, the best timing he had was leaving when he left, and that really speaks to his his time at Texas. It it didn't work out because my lord, that man is the most unlucky person I have ever seen in my entire life. But going back into the execution for Chris Beard. Let's talk about how Texas did in this game. I mean, shooting 64% from the field, 60 no, 50, 60% from three, actually. I was impressed. And that kind of was what got me thinking, like, wow, you know? Obviously, they're doing it against Houston Baptist. But, I mean, Andrew Jones hitting 50%. Courtney Ramey is on fire. I wonder if that's going to continue to be a thing. Or, you know, because now he's a senior. Right, so hopefully you get a lot more uh, consistency from some of these guys like Courtney Ramey, Andrew Jones, Jace Febris, and I guess even Brock Cunningham. But you're, you know, Jace Febris is the perfect example of a shooter. You recruited a shooter and you let him grow. Now he's got some more consistency as a shooter. So hitting two for three from the night, or maybe you know hitting around fifty percent from the night from some of those guys, those three guys, seems like. Something that can be expected, not just against Houston Baptist, but against other teams. I would expect one of those guys to do well shooting the three at least one night. And then you have, to add to that, Marcus Carr, Christian Bishop, uh, Trey Mitchell. And then, you know, Timmy Allen had a rough night, but we'll talk about that in a second. What did y'all think about the first look for Texas in this season? When we spoke about the exhibition game, we talked kind of at length about how we were wanted to be thoughtful about not taking too much away from that. But I did, uh, I did enjoy our conversation about some, like some of the passing and the ability of ball uh, you know, with ball movement that we saw in that game. And I think it, that bore itself out here too. Now, clearly um, it would not be a surprise if our, <laughs> if our season long three point percentage as a team is, is about 20 points or more less than what it was uh, in the HBU game. But that's okay. Like, I do think that... So last year, Texas shot about 36% from three as a team for the season. And that's pretty good. You know, we, we've talked about how last year was, I, I think, uh, up until the very last game, objectively a good year. I think this year can be better, uh, both from a March Madness standpoint, but even from a three-point shooting standpoint. So I, I think this team has the has the ball movement and the kind of intelligence um, as far as guys who can facilitate for others to be a, uh, a high-level three-point shooting team. And we're probably going to have to be. You know, I, I don't I don't see a lot of dynamic playmakers as far as getting to the rim, as far as challenging other big men, um, you know, on dribble penetration. I, I do think this is going to be a team that's going to rely on on finding some of those open shooters through through. Um, maybe some isolation looks, but just a lot of ball movement, a lot of reversals, a lot of skips, a lot of, uh, kickouts. Um, you know, I, I'll be interested to see if we, if we see some more like staggered screen stuffs or sweeps and curls from a guy like Jace or, or how they'll build some of those pieces into it. What will happen to our offense when DeSue, um, comes back in earnest, whether that's here in the next week or the next couple weeks or whenever that is. So, uh, he was cleared today, by the way, I'm not sure if you guys saw that or not, but he got cleared for actual for some of that stuff. I, I doubt that we'll see him against Gonzaga, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see him next week against Northern Colorado. So, yeah, but I, I think it was, it was, think it was good. And I think some, <laughs> some of the stuff with, 
with uh, Jace and Andrew and Courtney in their previous seasons at Texas when Shaka was around and when Matt was around, we've lamented at some of the ball movement and some of the player movement too, not being particularly great under Shaka's offenses. And that's, that's, I don't think, particularly arguable. But I would say if they could shoot some of those higher percentages in that offense with those other players around them, uh, it certainly stands to reason that we that what we saw against Houston Baptist is is an indication of like, hey, these guys can actually shoot, and if they if they have teammates that can help them into some better spots more consistently, um, that that could be that that will will only obviously serve to kind of help and raise the bar of what they're able to do percentage wise. So, so what you're saying is Shaka recruited shooters. <laughs> Speaking of teammates who can help get those guys in position and help with that ball movement, I mean, Marcus Carr really kind of showed out what he is as a facilitator of the ball. I mean, he, that was what he was brought in. He's brought in as one of the top point guards in the transfer portal. Having him and Courtney Ramey as your two ball handlers uh, on top of Andrew Jones, like that is a deadly pair for Texas this year as your point guards. And I guess then you have Devin Askew, but... He's okay. What do you think, Johnny? So, um, I, I I went back and watched the, the first half because I, I wanted to make sure I wasn't uh, overreacting. Uh, but when I went back and watched it, I felt like uh, if Jace is not hitting contested threes and Ramey doesn't go off, this game's tight for a lot longer than it was. I mean, as it was, it was 18 to 15 about halfway through the first half. So a quarter of the way through the game, give or take. And uh, the Houston Baptists actually had the ball at that point. They could have made it a one-point game or a tie, but ten, you know, 10 minutes into the first half. Jace hit a, an open three, and he hit a very contested three, which great. That is exactly what you want to see from him. Uh, Ramey hit... A, a lot of big shots, especially in the second half, to really break things open. But guys like Timmy Allen did not do so hot. Uh, the offense had some issues. I mean, you know, as as much as Carr is, and I I don't want to I don't want to be too mean here because Carr is clearly well, maybe not clearly, but he's he's definitely one of the best players on this team. If not, you know, maybe I, I would put him maybe second best behind Desue. But, you know, it's it's arguable where, where you want to put him. He, he's definitely the most important player on this team, I think. He had five assists and three turnovers. He had some had some, some possessions where he... he had w- seven assists and three turnovers. Oh, it shows five and three on, on Ken Palm. So, I, I, no, don't, I don't know. ESPN is seven, but... Okay, well, if it's seven and three, that's that's better six. for him. So. He's six and three. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll even the difference. Out. All right, fair enough. Six and three, give or take one. And I'm not trying to be too harsh on him because a lot of this is him and the rest of the team figuring out their positions, figuring out how they interrelate, how how they're going to work together. And it's also them doing it against one of the worst teams in D1. So there's a a limit here on on how much you want to, you know, how how broad a brush you want to paint with. But um, just, I, I don't know, I watched this and I felt like, Texas is still, I mean, Texas is still figuring stuff out, right? Like the, the offense, especially, well, maybe not especially offensively, but definitely offensively, they're still trying to figure out what actions work for them because um, I saw very little of that pick and pop that they, two-man game that they did in the exhibition, which I'd like to see more of. Uh, I, you know, Mitchell didn't play a 
ton. I mean, he played how many minutes did he play? He played uh, 20 minutes. So not, not, you know, a fair amount, but not that much. Um, Bishop played pretty well in his time. It was, it was good to see him, you know, uh, do, do what he needed to do. I just felt like this offense is, is still, it, they overwhelmed a bad team that, you know, like Tristan Lacan would be what sixth man on, on Houston Baptist, maybe seventh man, something like that. And, and so at a certain point, Texas is just bigger and stronger and more talented. So I'm not, you know, this, this game was never really in doubt, but it felt like it was more in doubt than it should have been, at least in the first half. Yeah. I'm, I've been singing the praises of these guys and saying, wow, it's a deadly duo, but there was definitely a lot of sloppy offense and defense on the floor versus Houston Baptist. And as you said, I feel like that's a lot of those guys gelling and working together or just hopefully figuring it out. I mean, I watched Timmy Allen on the floor. Uh, To put it another way, I watched Timmy Allen do something on the floor and I texted Johnny and Tim immediately. It was like, when they talk about walking through a player like a saloon door, they're talking about what just happened to Timmy Allen. Literally, he was sitting there, chest to the guy, let the opponent walk right through him like a saloon door, and then slammed shut and did the little wiggle like a saloon door. Did I, did I paint a good enough picture there? Can, can one of y'all do a better job of what exactly Tim Allen looked like <laughs> on that play? It was not... Yeah, it was not a great game for him. Uh, and uh, I, he probably got yanked fairly early on because of defensive issues. But I, I'm watching this defense, and it feels like... I mean, I know they're technically doing a no-middle defense, but it feels like a, a pretty spare or pretty forgiving no-middle defense because like, even when they've got a guy at the top of the key they're not shading him a particular direction for the most part. They're just straight up defending him, which, you know, when it's Houston Baptist, it doesn't really matter because, you know, Timmy Allen is six inches taller than that dude and is probably going to be okay even if that guy drives. But, like, in a in a, a real no-middle defense, you're shading him that, that ball handler one direction or the other, right? Whichever direction you prefer him to go. And they didn't do that. And, and also, when they would get a trap on the sort of the free throw line extended, they got beat on that trap a number of times, mostly in the first half. Like it got cleaned up in the second half, but in the first half, I mean, it, Trey Mitchell got burned multiple times because he would come up for the trap. And I'm, I'm almost feeling like what he was doing was he was, uh, getting ready to go. Like he, he, if, uh, what's the best way to put this? Uh, instead of him going for the aggressive trap, he was, getting ready to recover back to the basket. And it was like he was doing a sort of trap thing and then the guy would beat him because he wasn't committed to to cutting off the, the you know, cutting off the, the the baseline. And so Houston Baptist, again, one of the worst teams in D1, got uh, several baseline drives off that that they some of them they converted some of them they didn't, but like guys like Trey Mitchell, they got to they got to own that and they got to stop that shit. And uh, Timmy Allen, uh, had some of that issue. I, I don't remember who else exactly, but I, I saw him multiple times where a ball handler would get sort of trapped at the free throw line extended and like kind of hesitate and then, then keep driving and just blow past Mitchell or somebody. And 
you know, between that and the amount of paint touches that uh, Houston Baptist got in the first half, like, I, I, I mean, I was watching that, and I, I mean, I know it doesn't matter against Houston Baptist, but I, I'm looking at that and going, Gonzaga is going to torch them if they don't fix that. I would guess I would agree with Johnny on there's a, there's a number of takes I think that he just said that I I'm going to kind of maybe add to I don't I don't think I'm going to refute anything so a few things going back to what he had talked about about shading guys and playing different spots uh, on ball I do feel like <laughs> I think I, I I guess I would disagree a little bit that we were shading areas the issue was we were shading with some pretty shitty spatial integrity yeah that's <laughs> so fair like, yeah uh um so like I, I'm telling I, God bless Andrew Jones. Like I, I, I love the guy, but holy gosh! Like there were a number of times when like Andrew was shading, but like, 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 like straight giving up the middle, like truly, like, like giving up the middle, like his, his. So a lot. If you watch Courtney defensively, and he's he's just he's just the best defender on the team. I mean, maybe Brock would be. I don't know, but like, but Courtney is the best defender on the team. And when you watch Courtney defend. Um, Courtney does exactly what Johnny was talking about where, where Courtney will shade you but he will shade you if you look at Courtney's back Courtney's back is always flat to the basket like no matter where he is Courtney's back is consistently always flat to the basket which is what you want like you want to give you want to give your opponent um, an area to go to where you want them to go now usually that's baseline or sideline like you know, you're, you're trying to take away the middle and Courtney can do that, but Courtney always does that where he's going to be kind of flat to the basket so that he can kind of like, um, he can, he can just move in the same directions that the ball handler can move. Whereas you see Marcus and Devin and Andrew, they're, they're trying to give up those same ideas, but they just, whether it's spatial awareness, whether they just, you know, haven't been like, haven't been like groomed in that way yet or, or what are, but like they were just, they were truly like their body position was so shitty that they were giving up those angles. So like it makes the offensive player look faster and more capable when they don't even have to beat you to the spot because you're giving them the spot. So that was one thing that I, I'm again, is that, is that just a reps thing? Is that a, is that a, a an ability thing? Is that an execution piece? I, I don't, I, we'll see. Well, and, and on the, that point, one of the better people at that was Jace. Jace, who a lot of people, you know, his freshman year rightfully considered him a, a minus defender. His defensive ability or his, his defensive stance and his 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 defensive awareness was was pretty high in this game. Yeah, and I think that you see his athleticism kind of playing out there too. Like he's he's got legit length and and is like he's a quick twitch athlete for his as little as he goes in the paint. Although he had that great assist to Courtney in the first half, I had like that bounce pass. Anyways, he's, I'm, I'm really glad he's on the team. So that's, that's cool. Um, the other part that I would say, <laughs> again, not to shit on Andrew, but, uh, okay. Like you can, you can say that Chris, like maybe, maybe there's an argument that Chris Beard's defense is not charge hunting. Andrew Jones was flat out charge hunting yesterday. There were a few times where he like took some hits around the <laughs> around the no charge circle and just like falls over and flops or whatever and lo- immediately looks to the bench to like try to be like, I did it, I did it. We uh, this is what we're doing. This is who we are, right? This is, this is how we do things. <laughs> and it was just like, I, I, there, it was. There were a number of funny pieces where it's just like, come on, like just, just come on. Um, I, one thing I would, I guess, I would also highlight that that I didn't hear Johnny talk about. Him, although I'm sure he, it's it, he he would point it out like any of us would. Uh, the defensive rebounding was just bad. Like it's it was just bad. So, Houston Baptist had 16 offensive rebounds on 33 missed shots. Uh, 
that's that's really really uh, glaringly scary because we're going to go up against a team that has Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren in a few days here, and uh, they will be much more capable than Houston Baptist. Like their power forward is not six five two forty. As we talked about against Texas Lutheran, like there's some what can what can you and can't you take away from it? That's one of those things. Like if we can't if we can't hurt Houston Baptist on the glass, then what's Kansas or Baylor or or even like Stanford or Seton Hall going to do to us when we start playing teams that have comparable size and and comparable athletes or may or you know in the case of like a Kansas better athletes than we have? Uh, what are our what are our actual options? So that's. There's, there's, there's plenty of things to believe that like offensively that we're going to, that they are going to gel, that they are going to get more comfortable, that they are going to figure out where they can get Trey Mitchell in space, where he wants to get the ball, where they can figure it out. All right, well, how can we, how can we make Timmy Allen a better driver um, than what he's shown in, in this game? How can we figure out where to, you know, how to get Christian more active on some of those rim runs? How can we, you know, whatever it might be. And defend hopefully. <laughs> yeah. And how can, you know, and defensively, there's some of those questions too, but there's other, there's also some questions like, I don't know that we can do, I don't know that Andrew will ever be a defender at the level that, that you would think a Chris Beard defense would need for him to be, because like, we're just going to ask him to do some stuff. Like if, if we keep running this defense, we're going to ask him to do something that I just don't know that he can do. And so how do we adjust? What do we, you know, what decision, because because Jericho Sims is not there to pick up the slack, like or, you know, or Jackson Hayes. Like there's just there's no one there to help Andrew when he gets beat. And if the first two games, one being an exhibition against a D three school, one being against the number three hundred and forty eight or whatever team, according to Ken Palm, if those two games are an indicator, uh, he's gonna get beat. And when the team that he gets beat by has guys that can finish at the rim consistently or can lob to a six eleven guy who can dunk on us, like okay, that's <laughs> then we've got some real issues. It's fine, Mark. Mark Few is not good offensively. He doesn't. He won't. He won't find those mismatches. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. We're good. We're good. Well, let's speak about Mark Few's team here. Uh, Gonzaga, not Gonzaga. Gonzaga. I looked it up. Who are they on the court? Like, like I've seen them. We obviously watched. No, I don't, actually, I didn't watch the national championship. I really didn't watch watch that game. We we know who Gonzaga is. It's the royal we. Yeah, we. You know, just just for the people who don't know, what do they do well, and where can they be exploited, or it be exploited at all? Like, is there a place where they are weak? Uh so it, it, what I would say is that um, their weakness is that they are not as good a shooting team as they were last year. Like Corey Kispert going off to the NBA means that they are going to be more mercurial from di- from deep than they were. Uh, because he was just a knockdown guy, and he he benefited greatly by being the third or fourth option on the team, and so he just you know he just sort of sat out, sat out there and knocked down threes like crazy, and he he did a great job of it. Gonzaga is going to be probably the best team Texas plays all year. Uh, in Kansas, if they reach their peak form, might contend, but but generally speaking, Gonzaga is going to be at least the most talented team that Texas is going to play against. And um, Gonzaga is not afraid to play anybody. Their their non conference this year is yet again pretty pretty tough. Uh, last year they had a really tough non conference and they made it through unscathed. Like I I don't know that Gonzaga is going to go through this year undefeated because that they are still kind of piecing things together. Uh, but that said, they are as talented as any team in the country. 
Drew Timmy is going to be probably the player of the year nationally. Uh, if not, he's going to get a ton of votes, and he should, because he is really good at what he does. Uh, they have Chet Holmgren, who is uh, sort of the uber unicorn. Uh, he They played, who is it they played? Uh, Dixie State, who I, I want to I make cracks, but they're nearly 40 spots higher in Ken Palm than Houston Baptist, so let's just not. Um, it, Chet Holmgren tied the Gonzaga single game record for blocks in that game with seven and he played less than 30 minutes so also why is dixie state in utah I, that doesn't make sense to you me you know they're, they're they weren't a state early enough but they really wanted to be part of the civil war and not maybe the side you think so there's that um okay <laughs> so uh yeah I, the, the thing is it's you know, you look at, everybody talks about Timmy. They talk about Chet Holmgren. They should. Uh, they should talk about Andrew Nemhard because he's also really good. He was at, what was it, Florida prior to this, I believe. And uh, he was a starter there, and he was really good there. Um, but it also means that, you know, Rasir Bolton, who is a guy who, who Texas fans should be familiar with because he was at Iowa State before he was here, and he was really good. Uh, he was one of their best players. He's now a backup point guard at Gonzaga. That's maybe the best way I can describe their talent level is a guy who is a starting Big 12 guard is now their backup point guard. And he plays quite a bit, and he probably should play quite a bit, but that's that's just sort of how loaded they are. Um, I, I don't know if uh, Gonzaga is going to be a monster on the glass. I kind of think they will be based on just how good Timmy is around the basket and the fact that he doesn't really, he's, he doesn't really do a lot of stretch four type stuff. He's generally closer to the basket than anywhere else. Um, and he's got such a refined low post game that he's going to give, uh, you know, Mitchell or Timmy Allen or whomever, uh, a real test down there. Um, Holmgren is going to be, I, I am really interested to see how they defend Holmgren because, his ability to play close to and far away from the basket. And for a dude who's seven feet tall and weighs about 110 pounds, he sure is okay with contact. Uh, you know, he, he, he spends a lot of time on the floor because he's 110 pounds, but he is not afraid of going up and, and, and embracing contact. So I, I'm really interested to see what happens with, with Holmgren, um, you know, on both ends of the floor for that matter. I don't know who, on Texas will defend him. If Tassou was healthy, maybe he would do it, but him being, you know, as limited as he is right now, I don't know. I wouldn't put Allen on him. Maybe Mitchell. I, you know, you just kind of, it's, it's kind of a, a group effort, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I watched Holmgren and I get a little KD kind of feeling from him. He's, He's really good offensively, and he he's seven foot tall and handles like a point guard, and he's just really impressive. So I, I don't have a lot of positive things to tell Texas fans coming into this game. Uh, a, a, a West Virginia fan of, uh, who's, who's a buddy of mine told me, it's fine. We got rocked by them last year. Just, it, just take it and move on. It's okay. It, don't, it won't be the end of the world, so... Yeah, no, they should be should be really, really good, and it's going to be a really hard battle. I feel like this is analogous to Alabama coming into your town. So next year, 
Maybe. I don't know. You know, Gonzaga still hasn't won the whole thing. So I, 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 maybe I'd put it this way. Even though they are not in a high major conference, uh, Gonzaga would be perfectly at home winning in the Big 12 or the SEC or anywhere. Like, they, they would be uh, the, the top of the, of the pack, regardless of which conference they're in. For it to go well for Texas in this game, they're going to have to do a few things. They're probably going to have to shoot close to 50% from three. They're probably going to have to be mm, somewhere like in the no more than maybe eight to 10 or 11 turnovers. They're going to have to probably get Chet Holmgren in foul trouble or Drew Timmy in foul trouble. And even then, I think Gonzaga is just going to Gonzaga should win the front court battle. Not even just handle it. like they, they're probably just going to smash us in the front court. I do think in the back court, <clears throat> Texas has a better shot of being competitive. And you know, if 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 again, our, if our ability to be um, to utilize good spacing and for our ball handlers to to kind of pass the ball like we think that they can. Um, we can get quality shots against Gonzaga. I don't think that's going to be the issue, but this is probably going to be a game where, like, if Texas wins, they're going to have to win ninety-one to eighty-seven or something like that. Like this, is, like if if you're thinking this is going to be a grinded-out game, that's just that's just not going to happen. So, so it's it's going to take. I don't want to say a Herculean effort. I mean, Texas has really good players too. I'm not sure that we have the NBA upside that Gonzaga has. I'm I'm certain we don't have the NBA upside that Gonzaga ha- Gonzaga has, but. Um, I do think that obviously we've got, we've got a solid roster and our backcourt, um, especially when you think of the fact that we go five deep of guys that can probably play at this level, uh, gives us a shot, but, uh, not a whole lot to add to what Johnny said, but I, you know, if it's, if it's a, if it's a question of like strengths, Gonzaga's got a clear advantage, a clear advantage, even if DeSue was back, they'd have a clear advantage, but, but without DeSue, they've got a. Uh, a very sizable one on the front court. And I think Texas could, you know, but, but that's the thing. Like, okay. So let's say that Texas play Texas backcourt plays Gonzaga's backcourt even, or even a little bit better for us than even we could still lose by 15 (laughs) because of how, um, because of how much better Gonzaga would be on the front court. So um, yeah, it's kind of, kind of a bad matchup for us, particularly at this point, given our personnel and, and not having, uh, not having to sue, but um but yeah, Gonzaga is a team that, as we've been able to expect over the last five or six years, uh, they they've been there. So they they took that they've taken that leap from, you know, being a being a second weekend team for for you know maybe the last decade or so to now all of a sudden they're a third weekend team over the last four or five years. And I don't see any reason why that's going to go away if they recruit like they have been. So, um, and you know, keeping a guy like Drew Timmy who, um, who could have who could have certainly left last year just shows that they. Have a pretty cool environment, and it must be fun to be a basketball player there at Gonzaga. And so, hats off to him. And I think um, I I don't know if I can. Maybe I might be overstating this, but the fact that Mark Few spent the entire offseason thinking about getting shit on by a team that played a no middle defense uh, has is plays no small part in how he wants to take on somebody with a ostensible no middle defense and shit all over them. So I, you know, I, I really think he is probably, he probably had this, this game circled about five minutes after the national title game. 
So what you're telling me is that my hopes for an undefeated season are in jeopardy? Yes. In all seriousness, I think that this is going to be a Texas team that doesn't drop a lot of games that they shouldn't. I I really think that because of of the depth and the skill at the guard positions and the leadership of a guy like Marcus Carr and Courtney Ramey and the skill of a guy like Trey Mitchell inside, I I, I do think this Texas team is going to be a handle their business kind of team. After what I've seen so far, unless unless there's a a big jump start in there somewhere, as far as like again how how comfortable they get together or whatever it might be, I think really good teams will simply beat us against the best teams on our schedule. I, I'm not sure that we're a win against them. I don't think that we'll drop bad games to someone who's not very good. Or I think that like we'll take care of business even against decent teams. But I, I, I'm going to struggle at least right now to see how this roster and these guys with some of our athletic deficiencies and some of the issues that we have defensively, um, how they beat a team that really can, can throw waves of, of high level playmakers at us or um, somebody like that has a really good interior game. So, I mean, I, who knows? I've, I've been wrong lots and lots and lots of times, but, but I'll be interested to see that. I, I think it's, this is probably a good year for Texas to be sort of this way, because even if they are sort of, as Tim describes, they're still probably going to be third in the big 12. They're probably going to be a four seed and they're probably going to have a good shot at making the sweet 16 which is a solid year. Uh, it's not up to what Beard is selling or, or what fans are expecting, uh, but that's that's not not the worst outcome, especially given the last handful of years. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if Texas fans are asking for anything more. Yet, yes, than, they are. Yes. Uh, let me finish. I don't think Texas Can fans are asking. Got it, it. Okay, I'm aren't asking for anything more than just being, you know, winning the games that they're supposed to win that at one point will be every game is a game that they're supposed to win. But at this point that is not like, it's just where does right now the bar for every game they should win is like medium, but there's going to be a point where it's, it's crazy high as, as Texas fans do. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've, they've definitely already jumped on the, you know, Texas should win the big 12 kind of thing. Uh, And in part that's, I mean, that's, that's Beard's thing, right? And he, he's not shying away from it. He's that's just, football well that's 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 carryover from football yeah i mean it's you know to texas fans love winning and so they're gonna they're gonna want all the wins they can get and they don't care if it comes against houston baptist or whoever they just they want wins and then they want rings and they want banners hashtag birthright so if texas wins this game against gonzaga gonzaga sorry sorry everybody if texas wins this game against the gonzaga what does that look like? Um, they get Holmgren in foul trouble early in both halves. Well, Holmgren or Timmy in foul trouble early in both halves. Um, and our and our backcourt players just shoot lights out. So I think it I mean it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a pretty fast paced game, so I think there's gonna be a lot of opportunities for for some pretty good tempo. Um, but if if you if you came to me and, and said Hey, you know those shooting numbers we had against Houston Baptist? Surprise, we had those against Gonzaga. Then, yeah, it's a winnable game. I mean, we're we're good, man. We, we've got we've got five backcourt players that can move and pass and dribble and um, and some some really good shooting ability. Um, 
do I think that we can shoot like that against them? I doubt it. But if we did win, that that would be the most likely one for me is that we just we our backcourt just combined for I don't know sixty five points or something like that. Chris Beard meets Mark Few at a bar at five o'clock on Saturday. Is that is that a possible option? That's that's my option because then you know Mark's going to insist on driving to the arena, and we've seen how that works out for him. So, but what does that look like on the court, Johnny? Uh, probably a pretty drunk Mark Few. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure that Chris Beard has sworn off beer, so I'm not sure that he's going to be going to bars. Yeah, he, right he's now. sworn off beer. He didn't swear off alcohol. <laughs> Like Tim has Vodka also Red sworn Bulls. off of beer, but he just drinks Jack and Coke. So Jim and Coke. Jim, Jim and sorry, Coke. Jim and Coke. Thank, excuse me. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Put respect on the name. <laughs> I really think that we could play terrific and lose by double digits. Yep. Like I, th- I think that we could play a very good game and and it ended up being like eleven or thirteen after you know, an end like end of the game free throw shooting contest for Gonzaga or something like that, right? So I just that's in fact that's probably a pretty plausible one for me too. Like I, I I'm expecting it to be not super close at the end in a negative way for us. So assuming Texas doesn't win this game, what makes you happy? I mean, I think I'm I, I'm never happy when Texas loses, right? I I would be happy that it maybe draws down some of the hype to a relatively reasonable level. That's that's not in the game, but it would be good to be like, okay, Texas is a very good team, but they're not Gonzaga, right? Which is, you know, that's that's a reasonable place to put it. Um, in terms of in-game, if they're able to execute a coherent offense, actually, let me, let me flip it. If they are able to limit Gonzaga defensively, that will be a leap that I have not seen them yet make. Like if their defense is actually keeping uh, Drew Timmy touches to a minimum, or keeping Chet Holmgren out, you know, out on the perimeter where he's not getting to the rim much, that would be good. Uh, and anything that shows that uh, the Gonzaga guards are not getting paint touches, that's probably a, a decent result. Because thus far, I, we've seen Texas Lutheran and Houston Baptist get paint touches in the first half pretty regularly. So it would be a step in the right direction if they were able to uh, limit Gonzaga, uh, Gonzaga's ability to get to the rim. I want to see Texas do the things that I think they've done well so far against a team like this. I want to see, can Trey Mitchell, so I don't think Trey Mitchell is going to be a guy that you give him the ball at 26 feet and say, hey, break him down, big fella. But if we can get him the ball in positive spots, can he finish against a 6'11 guy on him? Um, if so, this is going to be a good year. But, like, we've seen that he can finish against a 6'5 guy. <laughs> can he finish against against a Gonzaga big man when he's when when he gets the ball in a good position? Again, like, not, like, create something out of nothing. But if we can find ways to get him the ball in a good position, can he finish? Um, I've talked over and over about, about the ability of our perimeter players to move the ball well and find open looks. Can we do that against Gonzaga? So um, I'm not looking for us to show new wrinkles or do some brand new things that we haven't seen yet. Like I don't, I just don't think that that's going to be the case with a team that's this veteran and that that has played for this long. Like I, I don't think that Jace Febris is going to show us a bunch of new wrinkles. I'd love for him to like develop some type of like back to the basket game or somewhere where he can be more of a dribble penetrator. That's just not going to happen. Like we've seen enough of him that it's not going to be the case. So 
what I'd like to see is can can we repeat some of these really positive things that we've been doing so far against again the teams that we've seen them play against? Can they do those things also against this level? Because if they can, then we're going to be just fine no matter the result. And you know, against the, a lot of the rest of our uh, certainly against most of the rest of our non-conference and and even against uh, the other teams in the league, we're going to be just fine. But if we look bad at some of the things that we are counting on, because I do think we're counting on our our perimeter players to pass the ball well. We don't have a bunch of dribble penetrators on our team, so if we can't pass against a team like this, that's gonna be that's gonna be something that we're gonna have to. You know, that's gonna be a red flag. If if Trey Mitchell can't can't finish even when he's in a good position, that's gonna be a red flag. If if Courtney and Andrew or Jace can't hit open shots against a team that can close out like Gonzaga, okay, then you know. We're gonna have some problems. So as long as we can do the things that we do well, well against anybody that we play, and certainly, you know, doesn't get a whole lot better than Gonzaga. Hey, cool. But yeah, that that'll be a that'll be a box that that I'm excited to see checked if we do check it. Cool. Last thing, we're not gonna have a football podcast this week. Do y'all have any football takes? Uh, Texas should win more games. I I want to know more about the monkey. I, in fact, you cannot tell me enough about the monkey story. I want like a 30 for 30 on monkey trick or treat gate that that's, I just, and everything that happened, make a eight part OJ made in America out of the monkey story. That's, that's, that's what I want. If in my experience with high level athletes, they're all awkward. They really just—they're all awkward. Maybe football is, is the one sort of outlier, but in in basically every other sport, the amount of time and attention to detail it takes to get really, really good at those sports—I don't think people quite understand. So I for I I thought I was a hard worker. Like if you had asked eighteen or seventeen year old Tim, "Hey, do you work hard at tennis? Do you work hard at basketball?" I would have said yes. And then as I was around those games more, kind of as an adult, I realized how hard I did not work. Like I just, I did not work that hard. Um, that I, what I thought was a lot of time and energy was not. And as I have been a teacher and as like, we've had some kids like, you know, we've had, there was you know, like Jared Utah has been in the NBA or the G league for like the last decade. So I've, you know, and, and he's a kid that I was around a decent amount when, when he was at my high school, I've had baseball, all Americans at my high school. We've had, different kiddos that I've taught or coached in different capacities that are super good athletes and consistently they're just different than normal humans. Like not that they're like better, of course, but there's, it's just a little bit different. And, and I've, uh, while that is the case, what's, what's really frustrating when I watch Texas football is it feels like, in my experience talking to a lot of those guys, you can kind of tell how guys are wired. You can just tell like, okay, a lot of times those athletes are pretty blunt because they spend so much time on their sport and you can like, it's like the psychoanalytical stuff is not that hard. It's just, I don't, I don't really think it is that hard as long as you're being like thoughtful and, and, and conscientious when you're talking to these kiddos. I don't, I'd love for Texas football to win more games. I would love to watch us and feel like, wow, what an impressive display. And, you know, they so innovative offensively and so solid defensively. Like, that would be fine. That would be great. And I would love to see that stuff. 
it just really looks like Texas lacks a level of mental toughness that is just like, why do we have these guys? Not that they're not really capable players, but like on some of like, like why are we bringing guys that have that have these sort of emotional deficiencies of like being able to like, hey, you play football. Like <laughs> there is no more physical sport in the world save I suppose wrestling. Why why do we have some of these issues as far as uh, we can't identify guys that are going to really fight hard and and stay you know stay with that belief or whatever? It just I don't know. I I know athletes can be weird. I know that identifying talent and understanding that stuff is 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 not easy. But what the hell is it about our team and our program for football, especially when you see when you compare that to the excellence that is absolutely everywhere in this athletic program? Otherwise. What is it about football that is 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 keeping us from identifying guys that like yes we can be good players and we can <laughs> and we can be emotionally and and mentally there even when times get tough because it just I'm kind of sick of watching Texas football fold over and freaking over that's just eh, it's it's that's deflating. On that positive Tim note, <laughs> we're gonna end off there. Thank you for pretending we were football for the past hour. I've been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. More importantly, the co-hosts, Johnny Brashear, where can we find you? You can find me on my Substack, bitterwhiteguy.substack.com. You can find me on Twitter at bitterwhiteguy. Uh, I'm also on Reddit occasionally. Uh, I'm in Will's Discord because that's a thing that the youth does. And so I am now there because I am one of you yeah, and we also have a Patreon, uh, the Hornscast Patreon. And thank you again to Brittany M. and Cole C. for being huge supporters of the show. You guys are awesome, awesome people. And if you, you got any extra cash, I also have a Patreon. I'm just, just saying. Tim. Yeah, on Twitter at Inside Texas Hoop, no S. At the very least, you will, if you follow me, you will. Uh, Get notifications from InsideTexas.com when I have posted a <laughs> some type of article. Uh, and then at InsideTexas.com. Awesome community. We would love to have you. Let us know what y'all think about live shows. Because that's something we're toying with. But, Tim, you didn't give me a movie quote. Well, I want to ask you a question. Straight out. Flat out. And I want you to give me the honest answer. What do you think the chances are of a guy like you and a girl like me ending up together? Tim, that's my favorite Rudy quote of all time. I really appreciate that. All right. Thank y'all so much (laughs) for listening to us idiots talk about Texas basketball. We will see y'all next week. Hook 'em. Hook 'em. So last week I stopped my recording too fast. Are we should I still be recording? I'm cuz I'm still recording. I cannot I can stop if Oh, I should stop. Okay, I will stop.